we wanted to just give kind of a brief disclaimer about our discussions here on this podcast. The tone of the show is obviously quite serious and covers subject matters that are difficult to talk about and important and things like that. And this podcast will talk about those, but also we're going to be joking and talking about the lighter elements of the show. And we just want to make sure that nobody takes anything that we say to be making light of the situations portrayed in the show. And yes. Like victims and things like that. We obviously take that very seriously when that happens in real life. And we don't want anybody to take it as though we're making light of those occurrences. Welcome back to Vicious Felonies, a Law & Order SVU podcast. I'm Chrissy. I'm Jordan. And Jordan was just mid-yawn, so I had to sneak attack the intro there on you. Yeah, I liked it. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 2, Wrath. But before we get into that, I'm sure Jordan has a long laundry list of uh, facts for us to hear. Sort of. Okay, let's go. First thing I want to say, I mean, I already know the answer, but have you seen this before? Yes. Uh, this is another one where I remembered every single thing about it from the get, from the jump. But it didn't annoy me like the last time because I like this episode. Gotcha. So I was more like excited to watch it unfold. Whereas with our last episode, I was like, oh, it's this one. Like this and this and this happens and it's not satisfying in any way. Okay. This is partially satisfying at least. And it's an interesting episode. Yeah, I'd seen this before as well. I, again, didn't remember every detail. Did you at least remember the door thing? Yeah. Okay. How could you forget the door? Like, it's cool. But I think, like, when I mentioned what episode it was, you said, oh, this is the one with the door. Oh, okay. And then I was like, <laughs> oh. probably. How could you forget the Olivia door? <laughs> I mean, I just wasn't sure if this was that one. Gotcha. But this episode was written by... Judy McCreary. She's done a few. Peak was the most recent one she did that we talked about. Gotcha. It was directed. Yeah, it is. Directed by Jean D. Sigonzniak, who was the pilot director and is always directing for the show, even in season 22. Is that a man or a woman? A man. Okay. Just didn't know. 90% sure it's a man. Gotcha. And then it has an IMDb rating of 8.9 out of 10. Wow. That actually is pretty close to what I'm going to give it. Cool. Cool. No spoilies. Mm-hmm. And then we do another yawn. Um, is this one of those days where you're really sleepy for no reason at all? <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, so I'm going to do my own quick summary, TM. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to keep it short and simple. Three bodies are found that the only connection they can find at first is Olivia. And it leads to a case that's more than it seems. Oh, wow. It's more than it seems. It's always more that's than it crazy. seems. That's crazy. I thought it was just what it seems. Nope. nope. Not this time. It was more. Oh, wow. I mean, can we hop right in or do you have some more? We can hop right in. Wow. Hopping right in. Okay. So I remembered everything right away, but the guys seem to be at some kind of experimental... At first, I thought they were, like, training to be medical examiners or whatever, but it seems like they're um, FBI scientists. I'm not exactly sure what they're doing, but... They're studying rates of decomposition okay. and other things. So there's a bunch of corpses, like, laid out in the woods, and they're all numbered until they're going over things, and then they find these three corpses that are not part of the experiment that appear to just have been dumped there. They say, these don't belong to us. Very weird. And it's funny because immediately after they say that, the guy's like, call the police. And then as soon as the police arrive, that same guy is like, you're ruining our experiment. Like, dude, we just found three unknown corpses in the middle of, like, you know we got to investigate this, right? 
What do you expect to happen? They just haul them away and leave you to your business? Like, I just thought that was dumb. So Stabler's at the scene alone. No other detectives from SVU are with him, which is kind of odd. Basically makes the Olivia connection for at least two right away. Right. And says he's not sure about the third one. Mm-hmm. Should we just address the retcon right now? That's up to you. I mean, it's one of the very next things that I talked about anyway. All right, well, let I mean, me say my thing before you get into that. Okay, go ahead. Uh, then it goes to the credits uh, before... Next thing. I just like to note when the credits are. Okay. I don't know. Um, and there were still the Twin Towers on Hulu, so not sure what's up with that. Maybe it's just a Hulu thing? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So. Regarding the retcon that I just talked about, so this is season three. It seems like each season is about a year. So holding by that logic, the first episode appears to be Olivia's first day in SVU. I do have stuff to read about this, too, so. Oh, you do? Mm -hmm. Do you want to just read it now? Sure. Well, I'll continue explaining. The reason why I wanted to bring it up now is because, like, if these are old cases and Stabler knew just off the top of his head that they were Olivia's cases, they're clearly retconning it already. And then once we get back into the squad room, Olivia recalls meeting with some of the victims back in 1993. She said, she's the lead detective. She met with him back then in 1993, which it's now 2001. So, yeah. So if you want to go ahead and explain what's happening. So in the book, it says, it says, although in season one, it seemed fairly clear that the Benson-Stabler partnership was relatively new. One of Benson's convicted perps had already been in jail for seven years. It's an unusual canonical change in that the prior and subsequent episodes seem to indicate Benson was new to SVU in season one. But writer Judith McCreary travels to the beat of her own backstory drummer. And then this is a quote by Judith McCreary. I played it that Benson was in SVU when the initial crime in this episode occurred, so that in season three she had been a sex crimes detective for seven years. If other writers aren't paying attention to the canonical history I established, then it says more about them than it does me. I'm sure some of the audience pays attention to those details in a very anal way. We're more interested in the undercurrents and personalities clashing in the workplace. So is Judith saying that the seven years thing is her thing and that they that other people should respect it? Yes. That makes no sense whatsoever. Sorry, Judith. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, I agree You came with you. in to write a season three episode, watch the pilot, and tell me that that's not a brand... Like, they're meeting for the first time, clearly. Yeah. They introduce themselves. You don't fucking do that if you've been working together for three years already. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I Yeah, I don't know. I really don't like things like that. I hate things it, like that. It's frustrating. I mean... Clearly, we've both been obsessing over the characters' ages on the OC for... <laughs> Yeah, we. It just you don't have doesn't have to be this way. Don't undo your own writing. Yeah, I I just feel like there's easy things you could be like Olivia started this date. Yes, just keep Olivia, it in a binder like you this said. Date. Like just have a binder of like character facts and then just reference it if you're like new to writing. Yeah, like, it would be really easy nowadays with yeah, because like, you could be like, oh, this case was ten years ago and it right. wouldn't matter because the show's been on for ten years and right. easily could be. Yeah, like you can throw stuff like that in there now, but you can't really do that in season three when she's supposed to be a fairly new, and especially if she would have been the lead detective seven years ago. Like she's barely even the lead detective on cases then. Like it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, Olivia's kind of pissed off at Stabler that she wasn't called. He said he's the uh, Fed's VICAP facilitator, mm -hmm. and there just wasn't enough time. And she's like, "What's well, my case?" And mm -hmm. they talk about their deaths being painless. Right. I think this is when Cragen says, "Let's find a connection other than Benson." Yeah, which is interesting because she is like there is that other connection, but like the important connection is her. Mm -hmm. So they spend the whole the whole first like ten fifteen minutes of the episode looking for something other than her, when in fact 
it is her that makes them connected. Yes, but they wouldn't have found like the no, crime scene without. I'm not saying they shouldn't have done that, but it's just funny that at first they were like, oh, there has to be another connection. They go to one of the guys that basically got away with a crime due to bad lab work and mm-hmm. He, like, half-threatens Olivia. He says, like, you got a mouth like the victim did. Mm-hmm. That got her in trouble. And Stabler's like, hmm, seems like a threat. Oh, my God, I and love just that. just slams him against the car and, like, is basically threatening to arrest him. And yeah. it's just a great, you know, my favorite- Stabler being protective and... Yes. See, this is... there's. I have a lot to say about Stabler and Benson's relationship in this episode. There's and a lot to say. It, just- I'm excited... For- like, this episode's so close to when he's Same, coming back. Because it really, like, showed their dynamic of being pissed off at each other and how that could play going into the new season. Yeah. So I'm very excited for that. But first, I wanted to say, I really like him just, like, it's like he's not even barely paying attention to what this guy's saying. He's, like, either checking his watch or, like, scratching his wrist. And he's like, maybe we should arrest him. Ruin his day. <laughs> like, he says, he sounds like he doesn't even care about the situation at all. Yeah, definitely. Which is very Chris Maloney. I just love that. And this is kind of what this whole episode gives me like big brother vibes about it mm-hmm. because there's not really any romantic tension between them in this episode, but he's still very protective and like really cares about her. And but it's not like in a bad way, I don't think. I, I understand why she gets mad at him later in the episode, but I ultimately think he made the right call. Yeah, probably. He went about it maybe in a bad way, but but anyway, did you have anything else to say about that scene? No, that was that was everything I had to say. I put the laugh crying emojis whenever he says maybe we should arrest him. <laughs> then Munch and Finn investigate two foster homes because the kid that was killed was part of a foster home. Yeah, the one says there's six kids at any given time. It's hard to keep track of people, you know, that typical yeah. stuff. Social they... workers are overworked trope that they always kind of fall back on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They ask the other kid that was at the group home that was... The one victim's friend. Clayton's friend. Yeah, Clayton's friend. And he instantly asked to see their badges. I, I just really like when kids do that on on this show. Yeah, I do too. Like, good for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> he said he saw him yesterday and uh, Clayton was excited because he won a computer and he had a letter. Yeah. And then they cut to Benson talking with one of the victim's mothers. Mm-hmm. She mentions her daughter also won a computer and then she says, you know, I want to thank you for helping my daughter, Detective Benson. Mm-hmm. And then they do figure out that the third person also got a letter about the computer. It's just so crazy that people would fall for that. And, like, I'm sure people did in the 90s, in the early 2000s. Like, But, like, if you didn't enter a contest, you can't win a contest. <laughs> yeah. No one's going to contact you out of the clear blue sky that you won a computer. Like, I'm not victim blaming by any means because I'm sure, like scams like this weren't really that big back then but i don't know i feel like if i'll get a legit email now and be like is this fake (laughs) like i literally got a work email that i was like i'm not this seems like phishing like i don't know and then my boss was like no that's actually from the legal department you need to fill that out (laughs) but like it looked fake to me because i'm just so used to like doubting everything when i worked at target they would send uh fake emails to see if you could uh figure them out and you would like if you report it you'd get like a special email like yeah great job reporting that that was a fake email Pittsburgh Magazine used to do that as well. Mm-hmm. They would accept, they wouldn't do it that way. It would be more like the opposite. Like if you fell for the phishing scam and you clicked on the thing, the IT guy would come to your desk and be like, that was fake. Don't click on that. Like it was from him. Mm. <laughs> so it was a fake, fake email. I mean, so was mine. Huh? Mine was a fake email too. But it was from Target? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it was also a fake, fake email. 
Yeah, that's what I said. It was Target pretending to be a phishing scam, which phishing scams are usually pretending to be somebody else, so it's double fake. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to explain that for our listeners. Okay, well, sorry (laughs) that you guys had to hear that. Maybe I cut it out. (laughs) They get a warrant, and they end up in this room, and the door says Olivia backwards when she shuts it. And it's very eerie in that moment. I love that shot of all three of the guys like looking at her, and she's like, uh, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, I wrote that as well. Mm-hmm. It looks really cool. Typical uh, building owner being like, I don't know what happened here. It wasn't my responsibility, right? I don't know. People got murdered. It wasn't, it wasn't me. I don't know. <laughs> like, it, why is that always how it goes? I like the scene with BD. And he talks about how this is revenge and that Benson is the target. Mm-hmm. And she says, like, how do you know my cases? And Craigan says, like, one was in the news. Mm-hmm. And then Munch kind of says, like, one you were very involved with. And she gets kind of pissed. Like, are you guys blaming me for this? Right. And then Craigan says the classic line, follow the money. Right. Uh, is this when they determined that potassium chloride, which was what they used to kill him, is also, like, in- involved in a... Death Row drug? Uh, possibly. At some point, they yeah, I think so. figure that out, and then they kind of deduce that it is probably someone who was in jail. Yeah. Also, when they do the follow the money thing, mm-hmm. uh, Stabler basically gives the card to uh, the one woman and says, like, you know, call the feds lab, and Olivia kind of is pissed off about that, and she's like, yeah. you know, I don't want them to be dealing with the case. And right. It's like, it's just us versus the criminals, not, like... Right. You know, their lab's faster. I just figured it'd be better that way. Which is really funny coming from Stabler because Stabler hates the feds. Yeah. I just think he said that in, in this episode because he he kind of like wants to offload this case because it's clearly too close to her. Yeah. Like I, I think he just wants all the help they can get because it is connected to her. Whereas normally he hates the feds. He hates any kind of like sharing credit with the feds. If the roles were reversed, he certainly would not be saying that about the fed lab. 100%. Yeah, true. I do think that that's how their mentality should be in terms of like, I think he says uh, the only us and them are cops and criminals. Mm-hmm. That's how it should be. But that's never how like any of them think about it. Like no. the amount of episodes where they have beef with other departments, the feds. I mean, that's even kind of how it is in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dean Winter's character. Like, yeah. Stealing Pretty much cases. every cop show. That's a thing where they like there's infighting between different departments or squads or whatever when in reality like you are all supposed to be on the same team and the only goal is supposed to be getting criminals in jail so yeah so they go and try to review some people that were in jail they go to clayton's father and he's pissed off which understandably because Mm -hmm. like he got his son taken away saying he'd be safer and now he's dead Mm -hmm. uh they go to the one guy who is in the wire later i have his name it's the actor's the guy that's in the wheelchair yeah uh hassan johnson he Mm -hmm. plays junior in this episode Mm -hmm. but he's from the wire and he's in that one like (gasps) yeah meme which is from the wire (laughs) right so i just want i've never seen the wire but i know the meme yeah same i just know it's from the wire gotcha Um, Uh, i just wanted to say two quick things before we get to that which is just that the scene where they're walking somewhere and then stabler's phone rings and then he instantly stops like stops olivia and flips out a notepad like all in one swift motion I just love that. Um, And it also reminded me of you because you always have to have a notepad or some kind of paper when you are on the phone. Fair. (laughs) Yeah. So, and also I just like the pacing of this episode. Yeah. Like there's episodes where sometimes I'm like, okay, come on. Like this is getting a little slow. This is a good one in terms of pacing, I think. Yeah, I think it's well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we go to another person that hates Olivia, some guy who was convicted for raping a six-year-old niece who apparently has been chemically castrated. 
He calls her a bitch. Again, not a good look. They're investigating you for hating this woman. Don't call her a bitch. Like, he also says, like, whoa, is she dead? Stupid as fuck. Like, yeah. So he claims it wasn't him. Up and down, blah, blah, blah. Next, they go to talk to Mrs. Plummer. Who I noted as flower shop lady. Yeah. I was confused as to who she was because we hadn't seen Mr. Plummer yet. So I was like, who is this lady? She says her husband was falsely convicted. DNA later exonerated him. He spent seven years in jail. They're now divorced. She's pissed off, said she wouldn't give him up even if she did know where he was. Yeah. They do say that like eyewitnesses, you know, put him in prison, not us. Right. She's like, oh, is that your excuse? Which is kind of a piss poor excuse. Like it is. And then Olivia says she's tired and Stabler's still trying to get her to go somewhere. Yeah, he asked her for dinner. Oh, okay. She says, when's the last time your kid saw your ugly mug? Mm-hmm. And then she walks away. Mm-hmm. Also very brother-sister vibes. I mean, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are we next cutting to Olivia and her doorbell ringing at 4.30 a.m.? Yep, 4.39 to be exact. 4.39 a.m. I like that uh, camera movement above her where it kind of like spins around. Oh, yeah. I thought that was good. I just want to say if someone ever did that to our doorbell, I would kill them. Because our doorbell is so fucking loud. Yeah, hers was a very different sound. Hers was more of like a buzzing. Yeah. Like, which is kind of sounds like, I don't know how to describe it. It sounds like the noise that the door makes down there whenever you get buzzed in. Yeah, kind of. But not the noise that we hear up here, which yeah. is so loud. <laughs> Ours is more of like a ringing almost. Yeah. Like, it's very Like, annoying. if someone did that to our doorbell with a toothpick, like, I think all the cats would just start screaming. <laughs> so loud so she tries to say like hey you got the wrong apartment blah 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 they ring again she goes down without her phone but with her gun and apparently without her keys as well and um and takes the toothpick out and then sees that there's a dead body in a box with that same olivia or whatever you want to call it just wrote that her name backwards (laughs) yeah her name backwards company and then she's locked out and is ringing her buzzer why would you not take your keys or your phone or anything like I don't know. Especially if you live alone. Right. Yeah. Uh, I guess just heed the moment or something. I don't know. The dead body in question is Clayton's Clayton's dad. dad, The guy who was drunk and was mad at her. And this is when the, I think that's the feds are like, you need to get off the case, right? Yeah. The FBI guy like says, you know, did you see anyone around? And she's getting pissed off. And Stabler says, my partner knows how to do her job. And... You know, she says she's not a victim. Mm-hmm. She doesn't. Yeah, they want to do the protective detail. <laughs> like Stabler's like, I don't know. That seems like a pretty good idea. Like, <laughs> says it like hushed a little bit. I don't know. I liked that. And then they try to figure out how this guy got out of got out of jail because he was arrested for like I don't know, drunk being drunk or something. Of course, they say that uh, somebody signed her name to sign him out. So they go to the bail bonds guy, who is a real douche, calls her sweetheart, says he didn't keep anything. The guy paid cash, and uh, that's all he knows. I, lo- I love her face whenever the guy says, like, listen, sweetheart. And she's like, sweetheart? And then is like, all right, everybody get out of here. Yeah, I love I when they that do too. that. <laughs> I would have just shut the whole thing down just because I was pissed off at that guy for sure. <sighs> How is that legal that they, he just isn't going to take ID? Like, what? Yeah, I don't know. That's just crazy. The only thing he can really remember is the guy's white. Helpful, yeah. Really narrows it down. <laughs> Next, we have Craigan's Cot. Did you uh, write down Craigan's Cot? No, I didn't. Oh, wow. That's a shame. The guy from the feds comes in and tells Craigan to put Olivia on desk duty. Like, I got more to say about that. You're already cutting too far ahead. You weren't saying anything, so please speak. Talking about his cot. I wasn't going to interrupt you about his cot. <laughs> so the guy comes in and Craigan says, is this official or off the record? Mm-hmm. And he says it's both. And he basically says to desk Olivia. 
Mm-hmm. And he says, no, she's one of my best detectives. And he basically threatens to, you know, have a black mark in What uh, the hell Craig's does that file. mean? He's going to put a black heart on Craig's smile. <laughs> I hope so. And he says, we all have choices to make. I've already made mine. Great I, I line. like that scene. Yeah. I love him defending Olivia. I do like that scene. I don't think it really makes much sense because if he's from the FBI, he wouldn't really have any jurisdiction or bearing on anything Craig does in the NYPD. So yeah, that didn't really make sense to me. I mean, I guess like if they're saying it's their case, then he would. Like I they guess. have... The FBI? More power, yeah. But, like, this black mark thing, like, what, what is that? Yeah, I Like, don't what know. black mark? Craigan's not trying to be in the FBI, so I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't know. Did you write down about uh, Munch and the flowers? No. Munch is complaining that. and says, like, he hates flowers, and Finn says, no wonder you're divorced. I send them all the time, then Munch grumbles, probably because you have to. <laughs> I just thought that was a nice little... Yeah, I liked that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like when we get to hear the little snippets of ice tea's love life like who who are you sending flowers to i want to see her i guess in season 22 we'll get to see because he's getting married to that lady yeah that's how this is like that one lady his ex-wife yeah yeah they're not really like still romantically involved i don't know Teresa. i don't know these people's names i don't know they're names. so bad with names anyway they the emmy reveals that uh this that Clayton's dad was killed with a different drug and that he did indeed suffer, that he was fully aware basically while he suffocated, which is awful. And I don't know where you're at, so I can't really jump in. Okay. Olivia says no again to the protective detail. Okay, yeah. I think, is it Cragen that tells her to take it easy? Mm -hmm. So she's wound a little tight? Yeah. Okay, yeah. And then I think this is the first time they go to Norman's, which is Mr. Plummer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to his job and again the guy seems it's one of those typical like oh well we didn't hire a con why is he in jail in this photo They're right like, don't worry about that <laughs> like, just shut the fuck up we don't care about anything about your business like, he, just shut up. he's not an ex-con just if you see him let us know right like this is from a play don't worry about it <laughs> okay so now we have bd talking to olivia asking her how it makes her feel about the whole thing he talks about a time when he was interviewing a killer and he missed understanding that the guy was calculating how much time it would take to kill him before the guards would notice or something. Yeah, I like that scene. I really like when she says, like, well, how would it make you feel? And he's like, I'm not trying to shrink you. Like, he's kind of playful in that scene, like, in a way that he's not typically. Mm -hmm. And I just, I enjoyed him a lot in that scene. Yeah, I did too. I think he totally was, though. Like, he totally was trying to, like, psychoanalyze her in a way. Yeah. So, I don't know, I just think it's funny. I'm sure you can't, like, it's not like something you can really turn off, I'm sure. Yeah. So, but that did remind me of him describing that scene, reminded me of that other episode with Stabler and him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually have that yeah. listed as like the MDB. Seems very trivia. similar to what he's describing, which is funny since that happens later. Mm-hmm. And uh, it also reminds me of Mindhunter. Yeah, I was going to say that does yeah. remind me a lot of Mindhunter. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. Then we learned Mr. Plummer's, aka Mr. Weber's, backstory he was wrongly convicted of rape and murder uh he's extremely creepy looking cabot basically tries to say what i had more to say about bd i was gonna say bd also says that uh the guy Mm. sees that he's like freeing them from a miserable existence Mm kind of like stuff we've talked about in other episodes and a lot of killers talk about Mm -hmm. and bd also says he sees himself as your victim too i just thought those are both that was a good line that really brings it all together Mm -hmm. that statement because, yeah. yeah, like, that that is pretty much why he did this. Uh, they also say that, like, they don't want Benson in the interrogation at all. And mm-hmm. she's like, that's fine. I was leaving anyway. 
Yeah. And then she, like, you can hear her, Munch and Finn, say where they're going. Like, he says, like, hey, we're going to this place. Munch is buying or Finn's buying, like, right in front of the guy, mm. which is how he knew where she was. Gotcha. I didn't catch that. That's a good yeah. good catch. That, I'm glad that they put something like that in to yeah. explain that. Because, like, a lot of times they just have someone show up and, like... I forget what the name of the place was. Yeah, I'm not sure. It was something, like, funny, I feel like. But, yeah, I mean, they said that they were going there right in front of him, like, clearly with an earshot. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of times they don't explain that, and it's like, well, he could be doing errands, or it could be, you Right, know. like, no, this de- guy was definitely stalking, yeah. for sure. I did have a note I wanted to say about the lawyer, mm-hmm. if, you, if you're ready to... Mr. Plummer's lawyer? Mm-hmm. What? So, this is the... I call this uh, sleazy lawyer guy. That's yeah. how I always refer to him. Uh, this is the first <laughs> appearance of that character. Really? Uh, Yeah. It's Roger Kressler, played by Ned Eisenberg, uh-huh. and he's continued playing that character up until 2019. But this is the third appearance of that actor. Oh. It's just the first time as that character. So he's just other attorneys before? I believe so. Based on the names, I believe so, but I didn't like double check. Hmm. He's in the pilot as Jerry Leinart, and he's in Closure Part 2 as Klein Rothberg, which both sound like very lawyery names. Yeah. So I'm Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's always an attorney. Yeah. So I'm assuming, but yeah, this is the first time he like has this name and plays it as huh. this guy from now on. That's very so interesting. I just wanted to note that. They probably were like, we like this guy. Let's give him a real character. <laughs> he he is. He's one of the like, I would say probably top five most memorable defense attorneys for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's my he's least sleazy favorite. sleazy lawyer think. guy. Yeah, he definitely is. I see him on the screen. I'm like, ooh, sleazy lawyer. Let's go. <laughs> so they're going through... Uh, everything with Mr. Plummer. He says he was raped, tortured, and beaten in prison and says to Cabot, don't diminish what I went through by saying I got a fair trial, at which point they kind of realize they're screwed because with this on his record, like everyone's going to be hard-pressed to send him to jail again, Yeah, which makes sense. Well, don't worry. They won't have to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> spoily. <laughs> like that spoily is our official term for this yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah. I like Elliot saying I like him for this. That was cool. Which, again, just kind of, like, goes back to getting a vibe about somebody, and I feel like they're usually right. Yeah. I like the conversation between Munch, Finn, and Olivia at the bar, going over uh, how you probably don't remember where you've been, you probably don't have an alibi if you live alone, and they should be bringing that same energy to every case. Like, Mm -hmm. the fact that they're only doing it now because this guy spent seven years in prison wrongfully and is now awful and killing people is problematic like you if the only evidence you have is they can't remember where they were at two weeks ago like that's not good enough yeah i like that scene at the bar and i like how she uh does say like even one wrong conviction is too many Mm -hmm. and finn's like you sound like a legal aid lawyer they could handle the stuff we deal with which are two separate issues like yeah he's not wrong but that also has nothing to do with falsely convicting people I was going to jump to her walking home. Yeah. I didn't write this, but when I was watching it, I was like, hmm, someone might be following her. Because, mm-hmm. like, they start playing that music, and you see right. a person there, and I was like, I well, feel maybe like... maybe she's just crazy. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I know they're setting it up so we feel like it is someone, but I was mm-hmm. like, maybe it isn't, or maybe, like, you know, she thinks it is. I couldn't remember, but I was right that it wasn't just that guy following her. Yeah. It ends up being... It's like a double fake out. Yeah. Like, it was... He was following her, but so was the FBI. Yeah. So, yeah, she pulls a gun and the guy says, oh, I'm, I'm FBI. And she sees Plummer across the street and 
then another FBI guy comes and he says they're the protective detail. Mm-hmm. And who ordered the detail? Oh, it's Detective Stabler. Ooh. Oh, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so she immediately goes to ring his door. He does not seem surprised at all to see. He doesn't even, it's not even like he's concerned that someone's beating down his door at seemingly late at night. I mean, he's pretty tired and just kind of like, all right, I'm coming. Right. And then I'm sure he wants. You know, it's her. He's like, oh, oh shit, okay. <laughs> and sees the guy standing there. <laughs> yeah, he does not seem surprised. He knows he's in deep shit with this. They're arguing, which I feel like was a nice little sneak peek into them, you know. Yeah. It's really like, even the lines could have been applied because he says like, I did what I had to do. And she's like, you, you owe me more than that. Like, it's time to get a new partner, blah, yeah. blah, blah. He says, like, you know, I always backed your play. Right. And he's like, well, he murdered four people. And she's like, well, if you can't trust your partner, get a new one. Yeah. Like, a lot of the lines really, I don't know, could could potentially be applicable to, like, the current situation with them. Yeah. So I, I thought that. that was interesting. And there's that weird goof. Yeah, that goof is just painful. It's like it's like that one where Cragen walks into the benches, but, like, ten times worse. <laughs> She turns and walks away, and then oh. it turns back around, and but the sound is gone, and it's just her continuing to talk to him with no sound, and then it cuts the commercial. Yeah. I don't know what happened there. So The Kragen one, at least, that's the end of the episode, and it does right. cut before he runs into the benches. This one's, like, so bad. Like, why wouldn't they fix that for Hulu? I don't know. It does seem like they don't, like, update things for Hulu. No. Like, it, like however it aired originally, because, like... Even how it says, like, they changed the uh, the credits. Yeah. Like, they haven't yet for the right. episodes we've watched, so I don't know. They must just... Maybe they just don't? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that takes a lot of resources to do that, so maybe they just don't want to dedicate the time. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. Okay, so then Olivia's talking to Cabot about the situation. She's trying to get a warrant for him. Yeah. She swears she saw him. Cabot's, you know, saying, like, the judge is going to bend over for him. Like, they'll say he was running errands. <laughs> I think you want to say bend over backwards. <laughs> huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said what I said. <laughs> okay, judge is going to bend over for Mr. Plummer. Interesting, interesting. Okay. <laughs> they'll yeah. say he was running errands or it's just a coincidence. And then Cabot asks how many drinks Olivia had. Yeah, that was and- not smart. She says that there was a mistake made before. Mm-hmm. Everything we do is going to be under a microscope. And Olivia just says, like, I wasn't drunk and leaves. Right. Reagan says no search warrant until he says so. And she's like, well, I saw Plummer. And he's right. Like, yeah, I, I don't doubt you. I believe that you did. I don't understand why he gets mad at her for taking vacation time. Like, he seems angry with her. Yeah, it's weird. I My only thing is I could... St- think that he knows that she's not actually going to just sit at home. Maybe. And he's like, if you're on vacation, I can't watch you and know what you're up to. Right. So, like, he knows she's going to investigate on her own time. My other thought was he just stuck his neck out with that other guy to, like, keep her on the job, and then she sat herself down anyway, so. Yeah, that's true. So I guess either. Either of those, I guess. But they still, it's still, I feel like she's, before I knew what she was doing, it seemed like she was doing the right thing and in saying, I want it too much, so I need some distance, which yeah. is clearly very true. I also like him saying, well, no one's questioning your abilities. And she's like, I am. But let me just go to the house anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was funny. Uh, the one, I don't know if it's an attorney or judge or the guy that says with Cabot, Cabot's talking about um, that somebody killed a drug dealer. And the guy says, a life's a life. Who are we to decide who has more value? Uh, you guys already do. Like, 
they have the death penalty. That's literally what that is. So yeah. that was a stupid argument to make. I also, um, another shot I liked was when uh, all the men after Olivia leaves are discussing. It's like a handheld shot. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, some movement and she's yeah. in stack and they just kind of come in close and move around. I, I really like that shot. That's interesting. Shot. I'll have to go back. I don't recall. Cabot tries to convince that guy to like let a deal happen so that mm-hmm. they can talk to the cellmate and hopefully right. find something out. So he says that from his memory, Eric, Mr. Plummer, was obsessed with Olivia. He sent letters to his wife through that guy's wife, uh, basically saying how he was obsessed with her and how like it's her fault that he's in jail. So obviously the wife knew full well that this guy was obsessed with him or with her. Yeah. So she definitely could also be charged with accessory because she knew full well the whole time. Yeah, and that's what Stabler says when they're in her place, like, mm-hmm. looking through stuff. Isn't that where they ultimately find the stuff? I believe is so. Is that her house? Which is crazy, like, <laughs> insane. How, how is it that he... Oh, he goes to the dra- to the work. Yeah, so he goes to the work and is trying to ask, and the guy's getting upset. He's like, you're harassing him, like, blah, blah, blah. Your partner was already here. I already gave her the address. Yeah. And then he's like... What address? What's going on? So at this point, we know Olivia is going to Mr. Plummer's address. This isn't good. She walks into the building and pretty much instantly hears a gunshot, which the gun wasn't loaded. What was that gunshot? I mean, maybe that he had one bullet, fired it, and then... Well, but like that in and of that negates him saying there's no bullets in my gun. She just heard a gunshot. So she would think that he's lying. Yeah. Like any good cop would have shot him in that moment. He has a gun to a random woman's head, and she just heard a gunshot. So, anyway, I'm jumping ahead, obviously. So she's in the building. Here's the gunshot. She calls the calls. Uh, I guess her backup, and says so she's there, and she heard a gunshot. And the door opens. There's a woman with a gun to her head, and behind some mysterious curtain. Yeah, and basically, he's telling the woman what to say to Olivia, and she's mm-hmm. like, "Well, you got to come in." And she says, "I can't." And she says, "They didn't suffer, but I'm not going to be so lucky." This guy's clearly just fucking with her at this point. Mm-hmm. He has this gun to this woman's head. He's Olivia's like really shaking. He says there's no bullets in his... He basically whispers there's no bullets in his gun and then like gets in position to pull the trigger on this lady's head. Yeah. And again, she had no way of knowing that he was lying. Like she can feel guilty about that all day long, but it would be a better choice to shoot him and take the risk that there wasn't bullets yeah. Then have him murder that lady right in front of her and her do nothing. Yeah, I mean, she could have not shot to kill. She fired twice. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> for sure. Like, she could have um, shot to disarm, I guess. Apparently they, like, and I need to look into this, but, like, according to police, they say not to do that. They say, like, you shouldn't shoot people in the leg or whatever for some reason. Hmm. I'm not sure why. Yeah, but she says it's between, before she fires, she says it's between them and... He says, like, well, how does it feel to have your credibility shattered and life in ruins? Mm-hmm. And she says, you killed four innocent people. And he's like, no, I killed three and one child abuser. Like, aren't police supposed to know the facts? Yeah. And uh, he does say, like, he need, wanted their misery to end. Mm-hmm. Like, who's going to help them? Not you. Right. And, you know, she tries to reason with them and talks about, like, helping him in the trial. And he's like, well, there's not going to be a trial. Not this time. And. That's when she's like, don't think I'm not going to shoot you. And he's like, oh, I'm counting on it. Mm -hmm. Just what he wanted the whole time. Yep. Oh, yeah, that's clearly what he wanted. And she says to drop his weapon. And he does say it's not loaded, but, you know, she kills him. It was clearly just to mess with her head for the rest of her life. Yeah. Like, there's no other reason for him to say that. Because, like, what else was she going to do? 
Yeah, Stabler takes her gun. Uh, it wasn't loaded. Her and face, whenever they say there was no bullets, was very, like, I don't know. It was good acting. She just makes a really, like, oh, fuck face. Yeah. Uh, she says she got to give her, she has to go give her statement. Stabler mm-hmm. says he'll take her, and she says, you leave me alone. And then I think Munch gives him a dirty look a little bit. Yeah, kind of. Like, <laughs> Munch and Finn are kind of just like, oh, shit. Yeah. Not good. And then the last shot's her alone in the dark crying. It's raining. Someone's knocking at her door, but she doesn't move. And her phone starts ringing. She doesn't move. And then we see Stabler in her so hallway. Sad. And he shuts his phone and walks oh, away. So sad. Yep. This would have been a much better season three opener. Yeah, probably. It's a better episode, regardless of the character moments. But then it also sets up character tension between the two main characters that would get you to watch the next episode. My thing is, she was a cop before she was in SVU. Right. Why couldn't they have just had it be, like, a regular case? Well, because then it wouldn't have been her. No, but, like, a regular case of hers when she was just a cop. Because if they were rape cases, it would have been SVU. You mean, like, change that so that they weren't rape cases? Like, his case, change his. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. The other ones could be, like, you know, while he was in prison. Yeah, like, it could have been he was charged with something else. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. He still was in prison for seven years. Right. But, yeah, that, like, there's easy ways to write around this. Like, fucking Judith. What are you talking about, Judith? That makes no sense. I have a ton of IMDb trivia. Oh, okay, wow. And it's, like, long. We don't need to hear all that. (laughs) (laughs) Can that just be your plug for today? (laughs) Hey, uh, I'm plugging this episode on IMDb. I'll read the stuff that I think is relevant and cool. Okay. There's, like, long paragraphs about the drugs mentioned in the episode. Yeah, I'm. I don't know. Not I don't super... think they really add much to this episode at hand. Mm-hmm. If you're interested, IMDb trivia. There's long paragraphs about the drugs. <laughs> the drugs used to kill the people. Yeah. Okay. This is one you'll know, but this is the second time in the series Olivia has a stalker after Richard White in season one's episode stalked. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the second time Olivia is forced to shoot a suspect. And it's the last fatal officer-involved shooting she's directly involved until season 18. Oh, wow. Yep. I feel like Stabler has like seven shots on something like that. John Juman previously appeared in Limitation. Uh, Is that the main guy? He's uh, Special Agent Franklin. Mm. He was in Limitations as Dan Latimer. Okay. Um, Orla, Orla Cassidy has played three different characters over the course of the series. Uh, she was Valerie Plummer in this episode. She's in uh, season 11 as someone else and uh, season 18 as someone else as well. Interesting. Um, we already said this, but Hassan Johnson mm-hmm. uh, is in The Wire. He played uh, gangbanger slash drug dealer Weebay. In The Wire? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Uh, actor John Duman, who was, who I already mentioned, He's been uh, 13 characters across all the Law & Order franchises, the special agent. Oh, wow. Hassan Johnson has been in other Law & Orders as well. They mentioned that uh, the close call Wong mentions is yeah. similar to the uh, episode with Stabler later on. Yeah, it's very similar. Like, I wonder if that was inspiring that episode. And that's in 2002, so it might be uh, this season or next. It's really weird. And then, this is a kind of a goof, but the SWAT officer that comes in after Olivia shoots the perp goes straight for the gun mm-hmm. and handles it with his bare hands. 
Not only does he move evidence before it's photographed and documented, but he compromises the fingerprints on the gun with his own. Yeah, I mean, that does not make a whole lot of sense, but I'll give him a pass on that one because it's the end of the episode and they had to wrap things up. That's fair. Uh, I do have one fun fact. Uh Uh-huh. Time for the fun fact! Dun-dun! It's from the book, but it is mentioned in the episode, and I think a lot of people will know this fun fact, but I still want to... Let's hear it. SVU Station House is in Precinct 16, Mm -hmm. and Olivia's badge number is 44015. Mm -hmm. That's all. Oh, just... Just those facts? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> cool. The book made a note of it, and I don't know. I just thought it'd be fun to share, even though most people probably know. I wonder if they even keep consistent with this, such a fa- simple fact as that throughout the series. I doubt it. We'll find out. I doubt it. Any, anything else? Rating or MVP first? I'm going to do rating. All right. I'm giving this a 9 out of 10 dun-duns. All right. It's very strong. I was compelled the whole time. Good character building. Kind of a twist. Mm, the pacing was really good. So yeah, it's not my favorite episode by any means, but like, I liked it a lot. Yeah. All right. 9 out of 10. I'm going to give it 10 out of 10 dun-duns. 10 out of 10! Come on! Yeah. I think this is really good. <laughs> it just has so many moments that just hit and hit hard. Like, mm-hmm. the backwards Olivia thing is just great. It's so creepy. Uh, I just think there's a lot of moments that are different than a lot of episodes like how they start in that like facility and you're kind of like what's going on like there's a body in the trunk there's this yeah, and like true. that's different you have even though they're retconning some things you have like you know her being connected to all these in a way mm-hmm. it reminds me of that one episode with like the motorcycle gang or whatever yeah where they like on. frame her yeah yeah it's a really weird episode <laughs> yeah it is but i don't know i just thought it was really strong and like yeah, I don't know. I just really liked it. There's a lot of good, like, character moments, too, like Munch and Finn, like, with the flowers thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really showcases Olivia and Stabler's relationship and yeah, just different moments of he being, him being overprotective and stuff. And Yeah. I don't know. I think it's a great episode. I wonder, I just really can't wait to see what her reaction is going to be to seeing him. Do you think she'll slap him? That's too melodramatic. I don't know. I mean, if Warren's writing, anybody, anything goes. <laughs> Should just throw a bucket of water on his face. <laughs> okay. Uh, MVP for me is obviously Stabler. Okay. I don't think I need to elaborate on why. Okay. That's fair. Who's yours? I'm giving it to Cragen. I was going to give it to Cragen. Okay. Interesting. I just really like that he backs her up, even though like that FBI guy is like threatening him. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, even when she's kind of like going over the edge and like doing what she wants, he's like, you know, I believe you, Olivia. Like, mm-hmm. blah, blah. he's just very supportive in this episode. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I think that's I like when just he's like needed. That. And I, I really liked him for it. And I just have to give him the MVP. That's fine. I would have given it to Olivia or Stabler, but I do think Olivia does, you know, cross the line. Oh, yeah. Obviously, with the end. She should and not have gone there at all. Stabler, I do think, is obviously justified with what he does, but. I mean, he gets mean, there a little too late and mm-hmm. everything. Like He's like a step behind her. So right. I just didn't want to give it to him either. He means well. He does. He just sometimes misses the mark in terms of achieving his goals. Yeah. I thought for sure you were going to come up with some half-baked reason why you were giving it to Cabot again. <laughs> no, no. I'm like, she could be sitting on the toilet and you'd give her MVP. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. All right. Anything else on you that? Got anything you want to plug? No. I am going to plug Mighty Ducks because that deals with uh, Gordon Bombay is a lawyer at the beginning and he Ah. does some slick lawyer moves. And uh, if you like 
characters like Cabot and Casey Novak, I think you would like Gordon Bombay at the beginning. Although he's more of like a sleazy lawyer guy type. I mean, he's the defense attorney. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but I, I enjoy that movie. Sleazy lawyer fine. guy type, a.k.a. defense attorney. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Is that All it? Right. Yeah. You can follow us at Vicious Felonies on Twitter and Instagram. You can email us at viciousfeloniespodcast@gmail.com. If you give us a rating, we will mail you stickers. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mossy underscore Castle. You can follow me on Twitter at Chrissy Marie H and on Instagram at Chrissy Holzer. This I, episode <laughs> is done done. I almost just said thanks. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> A little off today. Sorry. I see that. Uh, yeah, done done.